Before we start our episode, we want to welcome Middle Sister Wines as our happy hour sponsor. Did you know that birth order is commonly believed to have a profound and lasting effect on psychological development? And that the Middle Sister has a greater chance of having a wine named just for her? Well, welcome to the world of Middle Sister, sassy wines for Middle Sisters and everybody who loves them, which includes the Three Tomatoes. We've been fans for years of their delicious whites like Drama Queen Pinot Grigio, but we confess we're slightly partial to Rebel Red and her sassy remarks like, if anyone tells you they don't like red wine, stop talking to them. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. They're more than just a wine. They're a family of sisters you're going to love. Learn more at MiddleSisterWines.com. And now we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour podcast. I'm Cheryl Benton, your host, and joining me today is everyone's favorite financial girlfriend, Jean Chatsky. You probably know her best as the NBC Today Show's financial expert, and she often appears on shows like The View and The Talk. She's the author of several best-selling books about money. She's the CEO of Her Money Media, and she has a weekly podcast called Her Money. So welcome, Jean. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. And you have a really fabulous new book out called Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. I love that title, by the way. We all Thank we you. all want we all want that. <laughs> and I know this book is really going to dramatically change how women feel about money. And one of the things you did in preparation for the book, which of course we loved, is that you hosted a series of happy hour talks with women all over the country. And yes, listeners, I believe there was a lot of wine. And you got women to talk about something that we usually are very reluctant to talk about that. And that is the topic of money. So can you tell us a a little more about what these talks, what evolved at these uh, talks and what were some of the key things that you learned? Sure. So we've um, we've actually continued to hold these happy hours. We do them when I travel around the country or when my team travels. And we gather groups of women, often women who don't know each other, and facilitate a conversation about money. We've developed a, um, a deck of cards, basically, that has leading questions. You pick a card and you just start talking. And what's remarkable is that the women in the room often feel so relieved and so excited to just have the covers pulled down on this um, topic that so few of us have ever talked about before that they're really open and and excited to share and dig in and and share their knowledge. The judgment-free part is really, really important. we don't get judgy in these things. Everybody works really hard for their money and nobody is um, in a position to judge somebody else's choices, but they are, um, they're really uh, friendly community filled events. So we've, we've been thrilled. And you asked about what we learned from them. I mean, one of the, one of the questions that often comes up is what do you want from your money? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I heard from hundreds and hundreds of women um, 
was a variety of answers, but often started with this need for safety and security, that we are looking for guarantees almost that we'll be um, safe, that we'll have enough, that we'll be able to ensure that our money lasts as long as we do. And only once those things are set do we allow ourselves to want some of the other things, um, which you know includes starting businesses and um, uh, making sure that we've got you know not just uh, a, a comfortable home, but a, a place that we can relax and vacation and and lots of other things. But the safety and security is really paramount. That's really that's really interesting and. What are some examples of some of the questions that you use to actually get women to open up and talk about this, these things? Oh, boy, they really vary. And we've got a lot of them. But everything from what's the money secret you've been keeping Mm. to um, did you ever have a financial wake up call to do you think it's okay to hide money from your spouse or your partner in your underwear drawer? I mean, we are all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I think that's such a such a terrific approach to getting uh, to to getting women to open up and talk about these things. And I know when it comes to women and money, you say that there's there really is a new paradigm. And in just the past decade alone, that things have changed a lot. Can you explain what's happened? And I know about a decade ago, you wrote another bestseller, and um, it's very different. Today, this book is certainly very different from that. So let's talk about what's going on here. Yeah, we're we're finally starting to see more money move into the hands of women. And there are a couple of reasons for this. Um, no, we haven't closed the wage gap and we are making progress on that, um, but too slowly for I think most women's liking. But we are seeing educational trends that have more women graduating from college than men, have more women graduating from some graduate programs than men. Those things will put more money in the hands of women. And then when you look at inheritance, um, women will inherit the lion's share of the big intergenerational transfer of wealth that's coming down the pike in the last in the next 40 or so years and that is it's not necessarily that our parents prefer us to our brothers it's that we are going to inherit twice we're going to inherit both from our parents but also from the husbands that will outlive because women continue to live on average about 5 years longer than men and so the result is that whether you're looking at discretionary spending power or whether you're looking just at wealth, um, the vast proportion is going to be in the hands of women. That's a, that's a great, um, great explanation of what's been going on. And so now the question is, so what do, what do we do with this money, of course? And I know in your book you said that the real starting point is really for women to understand what we want to do with our money, but also what we want our money to do for us. And when you understand that, you can create this world that you really want. And your book is, it's such a great guide in so many ways to helping us chart that path. And you cover some really, really important topics like investing with confidence, 
helping our aging parents. I know that's a big one with women in my generation. I know so, I have so many friends who are going through this right now, uh, leaving a legacy. And then my personal favorite was the joy of actually spending our money without guilt. And I love that you devoted an entire chapter to that. So let's start with the joy of spending. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, look, I think we all work way too hard not to take joy in spending our money. Um, I mean, there's a, there are, spending is interesting. You know, spending is one of those very judgy places where we feel sometimes that it's okay to look at how other people are using their resources and, and, and sort of weigh in on whether that's appropriate or not. My feeling is as long as you are um, achieving your saving goals, um, making sure that you are putting away enough for retirement and your other goals, whether that is a down payment for a house or college for your kids, uh, you should you should know how you're using your resources. You shouldn't be spending unconsciously. You should actually be paying enough attention to get some happiness out of however you're using your money. Um, and that means that means actually, not going, um, not going unconscious about it. One of the things that's happened in the last few decades is that money has started to move very quickly and in many cases very invisibly. What we see, um, thanks to technology, is that we spend more with credit than we do with debit. We spend more with debit than we do with cash. Early research is telling us that money moves even faster through a digital wallet, whether you're using something like Venmo. And, and that's because it's too easy. You know, when you're not paying attention, when you don't have to actually open your wallet and pull, pull out a bill, when you can just flash your phone, you don't even know that you're spending it. It, it. It's something that you do unconsciously and habitually. And that's not the way we should be spending our money. Um, that's not how we get a lot of happiness and satisfaction out of it. We, we need to, we need to think about where our spending lines up most neatly with our values, because that's where we're going to get the biggest happiness boost. Well, that's, that is great. I actually hadn't thought about how, uh, the whole digital spending thing has, uh, really made us sort of unconscious about what we are spending and not thinking about it. But that makes that makes total sense. And if you think of all the times throughout the day that it's just so easy to just click a link or something and it's already tied to your credit card or whatever you're doing online, uh, that that makes perfect, perfect sense there. Yeah. Uh, and I you know and I think we get to choose. I think there's the there's been this whole I don't know if you've been paying attention to the whole um, latte uh, argument that's been going on on the internet, but there, there's, there's some, there've been a series of recent stories in the press about whether or not we're we're wasting our money by buying coffee every single day. And and when you are a personal finance reporter like me, who's been doing it as long as I have, you are really, really sick of the coffee example. You know, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, it just yes, the price of coffee adds up, but it's just, it's an easy example. The point isn't coffee. The point is that you should understand where your money's going and then you make choices rather than just spending because that's what you happen to do every single day. 
Exactly. And if you enjoy that coffee in the morning, that should be one of the things you should be allowed to spend your money on, right? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not about allowed or not allowed. It's about conscious versus unconscious. Yeah. So what are some of your um, sort of guilty spending pleasures or not guilty spending pleasures? Yeah, you know, I, um, and I write about this in the book, I, I like to get my hair blown out. I feel better when I have a good blowout. Um, and, and I refuse to feel guilty about that. Um, I, I love to cook. I spend a lot of money on ingredients. I'm not going to feel bad about that either. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing to figure out about yourself is where are your values? We know, especially for millennials, um, a lot of pleasure is derived from spending money on experiences rather than things. But that's not true of everybody. There are some people I had this, there's, there's a really interesting diagnostic um, tool called the life values quiz that was developed by a researcher named Lois Vitt with a V, V-I-T-T. You can find it online. And um, and I, I've talked to her for many years, time to time, about how we figure out where our values are. And what's interesting is that, yes, there are some people who are experienced people. And, and the reason that experiences resonate so much is because uh, we can revisit them. You know, if you you break out your pictures or um, you see something that you brought home from a trip, all of a sudden you you trigger some memories and you get to experience it all over again. And it's very much lasting in that way. But there are other other people who just want to experience um, the comfort of being home. You know, Lois called those throw pillow people. I love that. if If that's what you... If you are happiest when you are home snuggled up on your couch, then that's where you should put your money. I love that. I love that. That makes that makes a lot of sense for sure. So in order to have money to spend, part of that also requires um, smart investing. So let's talk a little bit about some of your advice to help women invest with confidence and also is there a difference in how men invest or think about investing versus the way women approach this? Yeah, these are generalities, but in general, men tend to invest with the idea of making as much money as possible, where women tend to invest with an eye toward meeting our goals. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's very different because in, in women's eyes, there is such a thing as enough. Um, and if you can get to your goals, then you've achieved what you were trying to achieve. Um, by the same token, women have been a little more historically risk averse. Um, I, I tend to think about it like many women and my, myself, I would include myself in this, um, in this type. We, we don't really like to answer, to ask a question unless we already know the answer. Mm-hmm. And Investing is one of those areas of life where you can't know the answer. Um, You can know a pretty good answer. You can have a general sense that this is probably going to go your way, but it's not guaranteed. Um, It's not like uh, uh, if somebody asks me a a straightforward personal finance question, what's the best rewards credit card? I I can do the research. I can answer that question. I can get it right 
based on factors like what's the interest rate, what, how many miles do you get for every dollar that you spend? Like I can, I can, I can do that and I can have a right answer. Somebody says, what's the best stock? What's the best fund? What's the best, what's, you know, what's the best bond? I can't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so we have to get comfortable with a certain degree of being uncomfortable because we have to invest. Because if you put your money in the bank and, and some recent research from, from Fidelity has shown that even above and beyond emergency cushions, women are sitting with way too much cash in the bank that should mm -hmm. actually be invested for our futures. The, um, the, uh, money that we've got sitting in a bank is earning, if it's a big bank, it's earning nothing. It's earning one-tenth of one percent. And even if you've made the smart move to look for a high interest rate savings account, you're probably earning two percent on your money. And that'll keep you about even with taxes and inflation, but it won't, it won't grow your wealth. So we've got to get to the point where we are comfortable investing regularly and enough for our futures. Yeah, and one of the other things too I like I liked in your book was you talked about different ways that we can invest and one of those is investing and in starting a business and certainly we you know I see this with so many women through the three tomatoes and you know who've gotten to midlife and you know may have been um quote unquote eased out of their big corporate job or they're just looking to do something different and really want to pursue a passion. So can you talk a little bit about investing in something that you may have thought about for a long time as a possible business or an entrepreneur idea? Sure. And and it's a uh, you're right. It's an area that a lot of women are are interested in in going into. We we invest um uh, in our own businesses, about one one and a half times the national average. We're starting one and a half times the businesses that that people are on average. Um, and and I think the big question is: is this a, a business or is it a hobby? Uh, mm -hmm. And and if it's if it's really a business, then it has to be a money making venture. It has to you know maybe it has to support you, maybe it's supplemental, but that. That means digging in to understand your marketplace, to understand what your costs are likely to be, to understand how long you're going to have to do it before you're likely to turn a profit, to put aside a, a cushion of money that will enable you to get to profitability. Um, you, you you have to you should actually be answering all of those questions before you quit your day job. Um, now, often we don't have a choice. Sometimes you're forced out of your day job. Sometimes it's, you know, you're retiring. Sometimes there are other life circumstances that, um, that put you in a position where you are, um, you're just not able to work at what you were doing anymore and, and starting a business or opening up a, a, a practice of your own seems like the next best move. But I, I think a little bit of, of research and legwork is always helpful. Yes, absolutely. I, I talk to a lot of women about this and, and a lot of times they'll have a great idea, but they really haven't looked at the marketplace or the competition or what else is out there. And I think you're absolutely right. There's so many uh, factors before people jump into that. Uh, but also they shouldn't be afraid of doing that either. And I think a lot of no. women do, do hold themselves back from you know starting something something new. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, for those of your listeners who'd like to dip into my Her Money podcast, we've got so many great interviews with women who have started business, the founders of The Skim and Rent the Runway and um, businesses that you may never have heard of, but who have figured out, you know, whether they're starting something that they just want to grow organically or whether they want to go out and raise venture capital, how to how to do it. Yes, that's great. And we'll definitely uh, direct people to your podcast, too, because you've just got great information there, too. So let's talk a little bit about since, you know, as I said earlier, there's so many women in my age group who are dealing with aging parents. And I know Mm -hmm. you talk about this, too. What, What are some of the things that we should be thinking about when it comes to that? I think the, the most important thing is avoiding surprises. When, women, you know, you, you say of your age, I think we are a, of the same age. Um, we've got competing responsibilities, right? We're, we're looking toward our own eventual retirement and saving in earnest for that. We likely have kids and maybe we're still paying for college. Maybe college has just come and gone, but so many people are supporting their adult children these days because they're, they're coming home in order to get a financial start. They're moving home and, and that means they're still, still in some way on the family payroll. And then, then there are our parents. And when our parents need help, that's often the hardest thing to say no to, right? We can we can delay our own retirements often. We can borrow for college if need be. Um, but when our parents need help, we typically give it, which is why the, the very best thing that you can do is to understand what the need from your parents is likely to be. And that means talking to them, which they mm-hmm. may or may not want to do. Um, right. I, you know, I've, I've heard from many, many people who say, I'd love to talk to my parents about this and they do not want to have this conversation. You got to keep trying or bring in a, an advisor. Typically one of their advisors is the most successful way to get at mm-hmm. this, right? If it's an accountant or a lawyer that they trust, that that's often, that's often a good way to go. Excellent advice. And a, another topic that I think is really important to so many women because it's something um, uh, I do think too, as you get to mid-age, you do middle age, you think much more about giving back and what you can be doing in your community or, you know, really feeling that you've made a difference. And that gets around to the whole thing of leaving a legacy. What are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, I I love that actually. And I heard it from so many any women that, you know, I want to make enough money so that I can give back. I want to make, I want, I want to be able to make my community a better place. I want to be able to make the world a better place. I mean, women, women do invest more, um, in these sorts of things. And what I think is important is that we do it purposefully that just like, I mean, many of us are, are, we know what it's like to, um, around the end of the year, year get 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 a get outreach from Mm -hmm. um from friends who are asking us to support their various causes and you know of course we often do that from our friends but for our friends but but i think we we're better off if we can start thinking about for ourselves what what impact do we want to make and how do we make that impact with our money. And that means researching the cause 
practices that that we believe in and seeing how we can structure and put a plan in place so that the the year doesn't run out and we've supported everybody else's fundraisers to the to the point where we don't have any money left to support yeah. the causes that we think are most important. Yeah, that's so important. I hear that from uh, women all the time. You know, it's like, you know, I've been to this one's benefit and that one's benefit. But when it comes to mine, you know, they're not coming to this and that. So, yes, that's definitely something, uh, something really important to think about in terms of the things that we are personally passionate about and how how we do support our own efforts and and leave ourselves the leeway to do that. So that's that's a great thought, too. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you about, I mean, I hear this from so many women who have a financial advisor, but I can't tell you how often they'll say, you know, I don't really know if this person is doing the right things for me. They just have a lot of confusion around how to find the right person. Are they getting the right kind of advice? What would your suggestions be about finding someone to really help you? manage and invest and handle yeah, your money. I get asked this question all the time as well, I think, as you probably could expect. Yes. Um, there are so, and, and it's complicated because there are a lot of different um, places that financial advisors come from these days. They come out of the world of insurance. They come out of the world of tax. They come out of the world of, of traditional um, brokerage firms. I'm a... Um, I am a big believer in a holistic financial advisor. I like somebody who can look at your whole life rather than just one portion of it and, mm -hmm. and give you advice about all of it. And, and you can find them in many different ways. I mean, it's, it's often a really good thing to do to ask your friends and ask your colleagues for names of people that they work with, that they like. Um, you can check them out. FINRA, the, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, has a tool on its website called Broker Check. You should run people through that. Make sure that you are um, make sure that you're not dealing with somebody who's got a record of, of things that are uncomfortable in in his or her past. Um, if you come up short and you don't have names. There are a couple of organizations that you can use to find somebody to work with. Um, NAPFA is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, napfa.org. They have a zip code locator. So does um, the Garrett Planning Network. So does the Financial Planning Association and the CFP um, Board of Standards. And then when you get in front of a person, when you when you sit down and you are talking with somebody face to face, you want to know what is this relationship going to cost me? You know what it, what is it going to cost me um, on a dollar for dollar basis for a year's worth of services? Because that way you'll be able to um, compare the different advisors who may have different means of payment one to another. You, you want to make sure, again, that you understand what how this person operates. Do they charge um, a percentage of assets under management? Do they charge you a fee for their time? Do they charge you a fee for the plan? Do they get paid on commission? What would they do with a person like you? How do they... How do they um, 
how do they typically operate? What sort of a plan would they provide you? Checking references is fine. And, and then my um, sort of litmus test is does in this first meeting, is the person doing more of the talking or more of the listening? Because, mm. um, yes. because really you want them to be able to look at your life and answer your questions and give you a plan for you. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they're actually listening to you. Those are such great questions and such great thoughts. And I think you've already just helped a lot of women out there because I think they don't even know what the questions are to ask, quite frankly. And I think you've just really outlined some very, very key things there. And I think what you're doing is incredible. I mean, one, just getting women to talk about money because we know that's that it's it, it's a tough thing. But everything you're doing to really help to educate women around money because it's for many of us, it's not something we learn, you know, going through life unless we're doing something that you're doing or we're in the financial world. For many of us, this is this big, you know, thing out there and. You know, a lot of us, you know, had parents managing money or husbands managing money or it's just not something, you know, wasn't in our particular skill set or something we thought about. So you are providing such a terrific service to to all of us, really. I, I thank you for that. And I know your book is your new book is going to help so many people. And I really found it so helpful that at the end of every chapter, you actually summarize, okay, now here's what we've learned. I think that's just always so terrific. And at the very end of the book, you talk about the three big takeaways that you want people to to get from this book. So could you just briefly touch on those? You know, what what I want women to get out of this is, is a comfort dealing with something that should be a life skill. Right. I I mean, you mentioned that that people aren't unless they do what I do, don't necessarily have um, the ability or the education to dive into this. I I mean, I want I want to tell people I was an English major. You know, I I did not come to this. Oh, I love that. So was I. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't I didn't come to this with um, with any sort of an advanced degree that was going to help me understand it. I, I came to it as a, as a reporter and just learned by asking a lot of people a lot of questions. And sometimes I ask them questions more than once, most times more than once, because you shouldn't invest your money in or use your money for things that you don't understand. And there's absolutely no shame in saying, hey, I don't get this. Can you explain it again? Can you explain it another way? And if, if, if you are still not understanding it, the problem is not with you. The problem is with whoever is doing the explaining and you should not give them your money. Wow. Thank you for saying that because you've just made a lot of us feel a whole lot better on, on that front of just feeling like, oh my gosh, we're so ignorant on that. Our people make us feel that we are. So, And that also explains now, I think, why you are so revered in this field because your your advice is always practical advice and you just make us feel good about asking questions and you help us to ask the right questions. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being my guest today. And everyone needs to get your new book, Women With Money, and visit, uh, visit your website, hermoneymedia.com, because that's got awesome advice there, and your podcast, Her Money. 
And of course, watching you on the Today Show. So thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.